Micah and team. Our kids can head back to be with our team of workers in Transformation Station. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of Luke. That's right before the Gospel of John, where we spent a lot of Sundays lately. Um, And we'll be in chapter 10 this morning. So Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 25. And I'm really excited to wrap up this For the City series, all right? I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've gotten a lot out of it. Uh, We don't want to just exist kind of in our city. We want to make an impact in our city. We believe that's what God uh, leads us to do and, and changes us to do, and so we've thought about what it looks like to, to, to be at work in our city and to, to make an impact in our work and how to live as a city within a city and how to serve, and today we're going to think about this idea of what it looks like to be for the city in our neighborhood. Now, when I was preparing, uh, and which became when we were preparing to start a new church in Boston, I can tell you, I spent hours and hours and hours on, on the internet, you know, uh, Google searching uh, demographic studies on uh, each of the neighborhoods in Boston proper. Uh, most of you uh, realize that each neighborhood has its own distinct identity, right? Um, and then even the cities around the city, like Cambridge, Somerville, Medford, Malden, Melrose, like every city has its own feel, its own people, its own distinct identity. And so um, we've, we've really enjoyed getting to know the city of Medford because the same is true here in Medford. We have, we have our own neighborhoods that make up this great city. So you can look at South Medford and, and Hillside, or you can come around to Wellington and then the Heights, or move over to Lawrence Estates in West Medford. Um, and then not, not only those six neighborhoods that have been traditionally identified as distinct neighborhoods, but then you just have unique sections of each of those neighborhoods and all of the squares, Medford Square, Haines Square, West Medford Square, that make up the city of Medford. Now, certainly each of those neighborhoods have their own distinct identities. At the same time, they have similarities as well, right? We would expect this. So um, people that, that, that care, care about certain things in every single neighborhood, right? They want safe streets. They want their uh, streets plowed in the, in the wintertime, right? They want good schools. Some of these things that are fundamental just to the desires that make up neighbors in every single neighborhood. But there's actually something even more fundamental woven into the fabric of each of the neighborhoods that we live in, your neighborhood and my neighborhood. And that is this. Every neighborhood is filled with needy people and needed people. You got that? Every neighborhood has needy people and needed people. And it just so happens, I believe, that every single one of us fit into both of those camps. We're all needy at times, and believe it or not, you may not be living this way today, but I hope after today, maybe we'll have kind of a mind shift that we are also needed. So what I want to do today is look at a story that will help us understand a really shocking proposal from Jesus that I think if if we would start to live this out can radically impact the composition of our city 
over time, all right? And in this, in this story, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you've read this or heard this before. Um, Jesus says to love our neighbors. And so what I want to propose to us today, this kind of shocking idea that loving our neighbors should include our actual neighbors. All right? How about that? So that's, that's the encouragement for us today, right? Love your neighbor in your neighborhood. All right? You can write that down. You probably have to write it down to remember it, okay? That's where we're going today. So this, this powerful story, I think this is the most powerful story on being a neighbor that is ever recorded in the history of the world. We're going to start with just the first four verses, starting in verse 25, this conversation that Jesus has with this really smart guy um, who knew a lot about a lot of things. Look at this. It says this in verse 25. And behold... A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So just a, just a quick synopsis on what's happening here, okay? There is a lawyer who would have been really familiar with the Old Testament law, okay? What we have in our Bible, the first 30, 39 books, specifically the first five books known as the law, um, they were given to the people to, to teach them how to live. And so he, he comes to Jesus and he says, well, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a, a fundamental question that we all ask in life, these ultimate questions like, why are we here? Where are we going? Is there something more? And here is a something more question. It's a, it's a great question. We should all ask this question. But the deal with, with the lawyer is he wasn't asking it out of a place of sincerity, but he was asking it to put Jesus to the test. And so we're going to see the wisdom of Christ, how smooth Jesus was when he interacted with people, all right? Because he, he doesn't answer his question. He just turns it right back on him. It's like, you're a pretty smart guy. You've read the law. You have it memorized probably. Like, what do you think? So the lawyer says, well, since you asked, I would say Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with everything you have. And then he quotes Leviticus 19.18 that says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you know what? You nailed it. That's exactly what I've, what I've told other people. The two greatest commandments are to love God with everything you have and then to love the people around you like you love yourself. And, and Jesus probably at this point is saying, the conversation is over. Nice conversation here. He's, he's got it. But what does verse 29 say? It says that the lawyer, desiring to check this out, justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, here's what's going on, all right? The, the lawyer wanted to define neighbor by the tight circle of people that surrounded him who were, oh, by the way, like him. And so he's like, 
well, if, if, if this is the second greatest commandment, then I want to make sure that I'm good on that. So, uh, Jesus, who, who is my neighbor? And I want to make, make sure I'm all, I'm all straight with that. And so Jesus answers his question by telling a parable. Now, a parable is a story that uses analogies to teach a spiritual truth, okay? And so Jesus, being the smooth operator, once again, that he, that he is, he tells this story to redefine the lawyer's concept of neighbor and perhaps to redefine our own here this morning. And so let's read verses 30 through 37, the, the famous story of the good, merciful Samaritan. This is what Jesus says. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him and passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asked the lawyer the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? To the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Two encouragements for us today. Just two. Number one, love your neighbor by being a neighbor to anyone. All right? Love your neighbor by being a neighbor to anyone. You see, what's going on in the story is that we would, we would hear this story and we would, we would assume that the priest and the Levite, all right, these are like God's reps, you know what I'm saying? Like these are the people that knew who God was, they knew what God said, they worked in God's temple, the place where God was worshipped. And so if anyone was familiar with that love your neighbor as yourself piece, it should have been the priest and the Levite. But to their surprise, Jesus graphically portrays them seeing, all right, it's like they just walk by and didn't see him, all right, they see this person beaten, bleeding, left for dead, They walk by on the other side. The priest does this. The, the Levite does this. I mean, Jesus, Jesus doesn't tell us what's, what's going on here. Like, man, maybe they really had to get to Jericho, you know. Like, um, maybe they were, they were so busy. Like, had their, you know, calendar was 
packed that day and they couldn't sacrifice any time. Or, or, or maybe perhaps, maybe perhaps it's, it's not that, like even worse, like they just didn't really care. They didn't really love this person. And so this would have been surprising, almost shocking for these Jewish people to hear the people that they respected the most, the priest and the Levite, they just keep on walking by on the other side of the road. But if that surprised them, then what they would have heard next would have absolutely shocked them. Why? Because Jesus then says in verse 33, this contrast, right? But a Samaritan. Now, why is this a big deal? Here's why. Because Samaritans were looked on by Jewish people as less than, inferior, both ethnically and religiously, they did not consider their Samaritans who were physically their neighbors to even really be their neighbors. So, so think about the layers here, all right? Think about the brilliance of Jesus, okay? It's not that a Samaritan is, is beaten and left for dead and then, and then, you know, a Jewish person comes to the rescue and then the Jewish person's the hero and actually cares about the, the person that's lying in the street, but it's that the Samaritan is the hero of the story. The most unlikely hero. Listen to this. The person that the Jewish people would not even have considered a neighbor turns out to be the best neighbor to teach the Jews who their neighbors really were. You, you got that? The person they didn't even consider to be a neighbor. Proved to be the neighbor to teach the Jews who their neighbors really were. Did you, did you get that? So, so who, is, who is their neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone, anyone in need, anyone. Skin tone, cultural differences, personal preferences do not matter. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's taking this um, falsely constructed category of, of non-neighbor and he's just eradicating it. You want to define who your neighbor is and is not, and I'm telling you, that's, that's not how the God that you say you, you follow and worship, like he doesn't have those categories that you just made up. The lawyer was looking to limit love, but Jesus teaches us how to love without limits. And so I want to ask, I want to ask all of us, myself included here today, do you limit your love or do you love without limits? Jesus says to be a neighbor to anyone and then he vividly tells us how to do that, all right? Be a neighbor to anyone by showing mercy to those people in need. The story is, is, is very detailed here, and, and we, we see how showing mercy involves giving of oneself in order to help someone that's in need. And we see at least eight specific ways. Right, I'm going to move through these very, very briskly, all right? But eight specific ways of, of how we can be a neighbor, by showing mercy to someone in need, okay? Number, number one, he saw him. Verse 33, 
it just starts out, and, and it says that he journeyed. He came to a place where he was, and he saw him. The, the good Samaritan was simply going about his business, and he saw a need. And so if I can just state the obvious here today, like, we will not see what we don't see. I mean, that's deep, all right? You didn't have to pay for that, all right? You, you won't see what you don't see. And in other words, all right, um, if, if it's been a while since we've risen to help someone else in need, perhaps it's because we're too focused on ourselves. I, I, just perhaps, like, we're just, kind of, we're just kind of going through life, and these needs are all around us, but we're so focused on our deal, our agenda, that we don't even see the needs around us. Mercy begins by taking our eyes off of ourselves. I mean, John said it so well last week. Be great by being small and serving all. So, 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 so service starts from the place of humility that says this person is more important than, than me, and so I'm going to step out and I'm going to help them. Exactly what we see exemplified in the life of Jesus. So the Samaritan sees him. Number two, he has compassion. Compassion implies a feeling of deep sympathy that then drives a person to action. So when we see needs around us, are our hearts stirred? Like when we experience the suffering of people around us, and people are suffering, right? Like they're needy people because we, we know we suffer too. And we're needy too, and, and we need others. So, 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 so when we see that suffering, like does our heart just kind of break at all? Does our heart break? Do we, do we see the need and then are we moved to compassion? And then when we are moved to compassion, here's what happens in verse 34. It says, the next phrase is, he went to him. I mean, how, how simple is this, right? See a need, have some compassion, and then check this out, right? Love takes the first step. Got that? Love, love moves toward, toward the person. Lord, love moves toward the need. People in need need people to go to them. And so this is why we just like try to talk about it all the time at Redemption Hill, okay? We don't have a ton of things going on as a church. We, we worship on Sunday, we meet in groups, and then we basically say, just go live your life like Jesus would. So, so, so consider this, like we're in this room for like an hour plus a week. That means what? You have 143 other hours in your week to go Love those in need. 143. Like, we don't need sleep, right? We're like insomnia, 2016. Like, like <laughs> you, get, you get the point, right? A ton of hours in our week to go and, and see needs and have some compassion and to, to go toward people. And then, and then it just moves and it gets even more practical. Over, uh, the, fourth, the fourth item, he met his physical needs. It says he bound up his wounds, he poured on oil and wine. This would have had both a medicinal effect to disinfect the wounds as well as bring comfort 
to the man who was in immense pain. And then it says he bandaged him up and, and he uses his own resources in this, right? It says, it goes on, it says, he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, right? So, so now, um, not only is he providing a shelter and additional care, but he's also using his own financial resources to get the job done. And we said this last week. John, I mean, John just said it very well. Like, love costs. Compassion costs something. Mercy costs us something. Not, not all the time, but... but but, but it does all the time, right? Like, even if it's not financial, it's, 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 it's of our time. It's, it's of, of, of the skills that God has given us. We're giving for the sake of others. And then I, I just love verse 35, right? Not only does he give financially, but he goes the extra mile. Check this out. He takes two denarii, gives it to the innkeeper, and he says, all right, he's not like, hey, here you go. Now, now he's your job. Because people aren't projects anyway, right? If we really love people, people are people, and we're just going to do our best within the capacity that we have to, to love them to the very end. So it says that he says to the innkeeper, please take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I mean, this is, this is like robust mercy here. And, and you, like, you want to know when, when people are going to really see that you care? when they're really going to feel the, the love that God has put in your heart, it's probably not on the first, like, it could be, and we hope that it is on that, that first attempt when we're, when we're showing some compassion, we're going to them, or we're helping them out initially, but, but when we start going back a second time and a third time and a fourth time and we're following up and we're checking in on them and we're seeing how they're doing and seeing how they're recovering, then they're going to know we're for real. We go the extra mile, like Christ. And so, so what's, what's going on here? Jesus tells this, this intricate story in such concise fashion. Don't you wish that I preached like Jesus? Um, in, in such a concise, you're supposed to laugh. Thank you, you must love my long sermons. All right, great. Uh, five extra minutes, here we go. Um, he tells this intricate story to show that the most unlikely person destroys his own schedule, risks his own reputation and safety, sacrifices of his own resources to help a person in need. And so Jesus says to the man, I mean, the, the, the whole point is at the end. And by the way, when you're reading the, the parables in the Gospels, all right, just look for the dialogue, all right, because the dialogue is going to usually tip you off to what the main point of the story is. And so Jesus comes back after he tells a story, and he asks the lawyer, he says, well, well, what do you think? Here are three people, priest, Levite, Samaritan. Like, who do you think is, is truly the neighbor? Like, who is being a neighbor to the person in need? And, and obviously, it's the one who shows mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. And that is what he is saying to us here today. Love your neighbor by being a neighbor to anyone. And the way that we do that is by showing mercy to anyone. So I, I, love, I love, again, I know I said a lot, but the, the genius of Jesus, that he, 
he uses this kind of uh, uh, lesser to the greater argument, right? Like the, the, the lawyer wanted to define his neighbors like right here. And Jesus says, like, let me just show you the most extreme example of who's being a neighbor. And I'm going to redefine your definition of neighbor. But what I want to do is, is something a little different for the rest of our time together. I actually want to kind of flip that argument and say, if Jesus gives us the, the greatest example of who our neighbor is, then how about we kind of think from the greater to the lesser and assume that includes our actual neighbors, all right? So love your neighbor by being a neighbor to your actual neighbors, that's the second encouragement today. And so like Tanner, okay, like, uh, <laughs> really? Like, how, how do we do this, right? Like, just, just bear with me for a second. Isn't there a disconnect? And I'm, I'm right here with you, all right? Being a neighbor in 2016, particularly American culture, 2016, like you go to different parts of the world and it's a lot different than how we interact with our neighbors, but, but, but being a neighbor is not an easy job. And I just think we need to ask ourselves, like, why do we get excited about loving God and loving our neighbor? And that means anyone kind of out there, but then we just kind of bypass the, the people that, that live to our left and to our right. Isn't there a disconnect? Isn't there something wrong with that? And I know it's easy to, to just say, like, well, everyone's so busy. Man, you haven't seen my schedule this week. Not enough time. I only have so, much, so many relationships. Like, I'm in so much relational capacity here. You know, like, cut me some slack. They get on my nerves. Anybody have neighbor problems? Don't lie. You may be the problem. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just here to say, look, like Jesus said, love your neighbor. Like in your neighborhood, that counts. And, and another just kind of theological underpinning here. Um, could we just consider that God like places us where he wants us? Every single person, like your, your address is, is known by God. Like he's over that. Acts 17.26 says it. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Check this out. Having determined allotted periods, all right, the time of our lives, as well as the boundaries of their dwelling place. I mean, so I know you got on Craigslist, all right, and I know you found an apartment, I know your family has lived on the same street for 85 years around here. I know you just got a job, and now you're looking to move into Medford or closer to Medford. Remember that 2020 vision piece of like 80% of our people living right here right now. It's just north of 50%. It's like we're going to work on that together, all right? But like, so, so, so no matter, like, God is over all of that. What's your address? Like, just know that, that God cares about your street and the side streets around you. In our remaining time, what I want to do is this. I want to draw on many of the insights from a book called The Art of Neighboring. 
And it's a really, it's a really good read. It's an easy read. I'm going to give you many of the highlights. All right, so Cliff Notes, here they come. Um, and, and what I want to do is this. I want you to follow um, this, this kind of um, idea of what is known as a block map, okay? So what you can do is, if you have a, if you have a sermon notes uh, guide here on the back of your worship guide, what I'd love for you to do is kind of mimic this, this idea, all right? Like literally, like right now, take out your pen or pencil, okay? If you don't have one, you can borrow a sheet or you can rip it in half and share with your neighbor. That was good. And, um, or you can just like do it in your mind and then jot it down when you get home. But, but here, here we go, okay? There are eight boxes around this, this little house here. And I just want just to ask you to, to do four boxes, all right? We're just going to take a step here. All right, so four boxes around your house, your home, right here in the middle. Now, now the goal with this, this is a really brilliant idea. Sometimes the most brilliant ideas are the most simple ideas, okay? I want you to um, take this, this box and think about it as moving the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself to move it right into your street and neighborhood. So I want you to write a one, a two, and a three in each box, all right? One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And what, are, what, are, what, are, what is this all about, okay? I want to kind of tweak uh, some, of, some of what they say about uh, this block map, and I want us to think about, you ready, uh, the three levels of neighboring, all right? Three, three levels of neighboring, and they, they don't call it that, but they, they, they use this framework, okay? So, so step one, okay, level one. Don't, don't get too, you know, kind of freaked out, all right? Um, it's, just, it's just knowing their name, all right? Just, just, knowing, just knowing your neighbor's name, okay? How can we love people that we don't know? So, so being a good neighbor uh, starts by knowing our neighbor's name. You say, well, Tanner, like, here we go. Like, I'm telling you, this is not a walk in the park for me. Some of my neighbors range from like ultra-relational to ultra-reclusive, right? I mean, it took me three years to learn one of my neighbors like really close. I'm not going to give you too many details, right? So, so it, it, it can take time, right? And so you're like saying, like, well, Tanner, man, my neighbor is on that. Like all of my neighbors are on that end of the spectrum. And they're just like so reclusive. And they don't seem to be social. They have a social bone in their body. Like so, so, but could it be that they're like saying the same thing about you? Oh, but I said, what's, I said, what's up to them one day? Maybe they didn't hear you. Because they were so shocked because they thought you were recluse for the past 18 months. You know, I mean, just... How many, how many of us can name our four closest neighbors? Just line one. How, how many of you could take that to eight of your closest neighbors? See, this simply moves us from being strangers to no longer being strangers, all right? And, that, and that's actually a win. That's a, that's a pretty significant step forward. But then level two is being able to identify just some, some kind of everyday information about that people. So if you have a conversation, you're probably going to start gathering this kind of simple, you could almost think about it as like census information, right? Like where's this person from? Uh, what's, what's up with their family? Um, are they working? What kind of work do they do? Just very simple, basic information. And okay, check this out. Their door is plain, painted blue. All right, that doesn't count. 
all right? That's cheating. So don't write that down, all right? That's, that's not level two. That's level zero, okay? Um, so, so level two is just simple information that you've gathered from a conversation. And then level three is this. It's, it's below the surface. So you know something about their life. You know something about their hopes and their dreams. You know something about the challenges that they face. You know something about the fears that they have. You might know something about what they think about your neighborhood or or social issues or spiritual issues. Below the surface kind of information moves us from uh, no longer being a stranger to an acquaintance that's level two, and then now to, I would say, a real relationship, like a friendship is building here when we hit level three. The authors of this book say that when they, when they toss this out here, which, by the way, some of their people in their church have called the chart of shame. Anybody, you know? Yeah, me too, when I read this book. Um, and that's not the goal, right? That's not the goal at all. The goal is just to, to put the second commandment like back on our street, right? So, so anyway, they, they, they say that only 10% of the people in their church, like the people, like the priests and the Levites, you know what I'm saying, like can even name their neighbors. And then they say roughly 3% can even give basic information about eight of their neighbors. And then less than 1%, less than 1% could, could fill out below-the-surface information about their closest neighbors. Love our neighbors as ourselves. So, so, so just, you know, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything like that, but like for those four boxes, those four homes that represent real people that God loves, are you, are you like, are you a stranger? Are you an acquaintance? Or are you a friend? So it's so like, here's, here's the good news, Okay. Anyone can be a good neighbor. Anyone can be a loving neighbor, okay? So like, what Jesus does is he just, he just tells the truth, right? I mean, he's like, here are the brutal facts. You don't love these people and you need to love them. And, and my assumption here today is not that like we all signed up and we said, hey, we're not gonna love our neighbors. We're not gonna love our actual neighbors, all right? This is not, this is not like, chart of shame time. This is not like guilt trip time. Everybody walk out of here, man, gee whiz, I only know one out of my eight neighbors, and you know, like, my neighbor today had at least two or three, like, you know, I'm less than. That's not the point, all right? The point is to take steps, and I believe there are some simple ways, I've been thinking a lot about this this week, plus I read this nice book that helped me out a little bit, all right? I think there are some ways that we can level up our love for our actual neighbors. So I want to give you four ways to do that, okay? Uh, number one, be personable, all right? If this is hard for you, okay, just hang in there and do your best, okay? Be personable. Uh, strike up a conversation and be a good listener. And it's something like, well, how do I do that? Like, for real, and, th- and that's okay. Um, 
How about just like a, a normal greeting? A normal greeting like, hey, how's it going? That could, that could be a start. Um, or, you know, like I've played this card a few times, I ain't gonna lie. All right, what's your name again? Anybody, y'all laughing, I've done it too, right? Because, and and they're, really, they're really grateful, okay, because you, you just expose yourself and, and they're asking the same question, right? What's your, what's your name? Like, hey, hey, how's it going? What's going on? Like, you can just yell that across the yard. It's, it's not even that, like, it may be a little awkward, but it's not, like, it's not super awkward. Normal greeting. Uh, number two, uh, here's, here's one, right? This, we're all good at this, right? Talk about the weather. Yo, it's a beautiful day, man. The sun's finally out. It's finally warm. There's no nor'easter in the forecast this month. Thank you, Jesus. Um, talk about the weather. I mean, like, everyone's comfortable talking about the weather, right? I mean, if they're not, okay, I'm just going to give you a free pass. Like, don't even worry about that box, okay? Just, like, pray for them. Add another box, okay? Let's just, let's just, go, let's just, yeah. Man, God, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. Um, all right. We're having, we're having fun today, right? We should have fun. Jesus had a lot of fun. Um, normal greeting. Talk about the weather. How about this one? This is the best. And this will actually move you from level zero to level two really quick. Um, take a genuine interest in something they care about. Like, isn't, isn't that central to our humanity anyway? Like, isn't that like putting very concrete, like, love your neighbor as yourself? Like, don't you get like, my neighbor, Art, across the street, knew it was the fifth anniversary of Redemption Hill, and he said, hey, how'd the anniversary go? You know what? That meant something to me. And so like, can we just like, if, if we know our, our neighbor is into bikes or cars, like, can we just say like, hey, what's going on? Like, tell me about, tell me about your car here. Or you see that they have family in town, like, hey, how'd your visit go with your family? Or you see that their little kid is playing t-ball, hey, is this the first time swinging a bat, you know? Like, just something that they care about, meeting them where they are to learn more about them. Be personable. We don't have to stalk our neighbors, all right? We just, we just have to live life and care a little bit, all right? Number two, play. Be personable, Play. Play in your neighborhood. So this, this could involve moving your hangout time from the backyard to the front yard. Hanging out not on your back porch, but on your front porch. And you're going to see a lot more people there probably. I mean, if, you're, if your neighbors to the, your left and right are like hanging out in the backyard, then go ahead and hang out in the backyard. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but, but just being strategic. Go for walks. Walk your dog. Walk your children. I mean, sorry, sorry. Go, go on walks with your children. That's better. Um, hey, man, children are great. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't gonna lie. Little Jordan's walking around. Like, you just magnet, you know? Like, open opportunities. You have a cute dog, hopefully not an ugly dog. Ugly dogs get attention, too. All right, sorry. Um, Go to your local park instead of driving three cities away. Play in your neighborhood and play with your neighbors. I love this, this principle I got from a guy in Chicago that's starting a church there. I just met a few months ago. He said this. Um, we, we try to emphasize to, to our church, do what you do and do it with others. 
Do what others do and do it with them. How, how simple. Do what you do, do it with others. Do what others do, do it with them. If you, if you like to play basketball, then, then invite somebody to, to play basketball. If you like to run, then invite someone to run with you. If you like to go to art museums, then, you know, hey, I got, I got an extra 10 here, an extra 15. Like, come, come with me today. Some really cool exhibits. If, you're, if your neighbor cares about those things, and even if you're not any good at those things, like, hey, Rembrandt, play in your neighborhood and play with your neighbors. And with this, um, again, in, in, in the book, they encourage, like, be, be cool and be creative. So, like, it's, it's okay to think outside of the box when it comes to being a good neighbor. Like, maybe, you know, you need to get a trampoline so that you can invite the kids and families in your neighborhood over to play in your backyard or get an Xbox or, um, or, or, or be, be creative. Like, how about this? Start an under four or five or six-year-old. Like, start a little Olympics one Saturday. Come up with events for the kids. Have some snacks. Get a few prizes that don't cost much money at all, all right? And, and get everybody together for a good time. Play in your neighborhood and play with your neighbors. And number three, you're going to appreciate this one, party. All right? Be personable, play, and party. Okay, what do we mean by that? Just like, again, do what you do, do it with others, do what others do, do it with them. Like, don't we all eat? Anybody getting hungry here this morning? Don't you hate it when the pastor talks about food and you're like starting to get hungry? Um, we, we all eat, right? So... Invite yourself over if you have to. <laughs> all right? You just, like, don't shake your you, you just got to be smooth about it. All right? Take some lessons from Jesus here. All right? He was smooth. All right? So, like, my neighbor is, I need to try this. All right? Sorry. Um, really good on the grill. So, you know, when someone's grilling, man, it just smells good. So, it's like, hey, man, that's, that's, that, that grill was, mm. Hey, what's on, the, what's on tap this week? Not smooth? Okay, keep trying. Um, the, 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 your neighbor just rolled in with all of their groceries, 10 bags. So you go and help them with their groceries. Yo, what's, uh, what's, what's cooking tonight? I'll bring over the bread and the drinks. All right, whatever. You, you guys, get, you guys get, the, you get the idea. But, 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 but better than inviting ourselves over, like how about just inviting them over? How about just opening up our home? Like the, the Bible calls it hospitality. In fact, uh, technically, hospitality most often re- refers to welcoming in strangers. This is how we build relationships. We invite people into our home. We cook the dinner. We, we like, okay, how about just dessert? Like you, you guys bring one, we'll make one, and let's just, let's just hang out. Jeff Vanderstelt, a pastor on the West Coast, says this. I think the church has been taught to idolize their home their family, and themselves. The rampant individualistic approach says, that's my house. But, but like our understanding of all of this is like, no, that's God's house. That's God's food. Man, God gave you the, the resources to pay rent and to put food in your refrigerator. Like, can we become small by... We'd be great by becoming small and serving all, right? This is 
part of, of what it can look like to, to be personable, to play, to party. And then, and then this is really good, to provide and to receive help. I mean, there are needs all around us, and some of them are just super simple, very temporal. Shovel some snow, sweep a sidewalk, rake some leaves. Maybe you'd want to put together a neighborhood contact list for, for safety and emergency. I was talking to one guy this week downtown, just met him. I was like, hey, man, what's it be, mean to be a good neighbor? He's like, what do you mean? Like, if you see something, say something. I'm like, yeah, why not, man? Absolutely. Like, that can be part of it. One of our community groups did this. They organized a coat, mittens, and hat drive, pulled together resources, and then gave it to, to families in need. Like, why couldn't we do that with our neighbors? Put a little flyer, hey, it's getting cold, November, let's pull together some of our, our stuff that doesn't fit or we don't need anymore, and let's give it to people in need. It's a great way to interact with our neighbors. So, um, so, so some are temporal needs, and then others are very like heavy life needs, health issues, hardships. You fill, you fill in the blank. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's mimicking what we see here, um, seeing the need, having compassion, moving toward them, being willing to sacrifice some time and even spare change to extend the love of Christ. But listen, we shouldn't just extend it. We should also receive it. And, and receiving help has actually, just as just like a personal experience still here, um, receiving help has been the best way that we have gotten to know our neighbors. So like if, if, if we're cooking, I mean, Marsha's cooking. Um, I, I can make a few things. Don't hate, all right? I got a little game. But, um, but if we're cooking and we need some eggs, you can take 30 minutes to go to the store, maybe 45. You can just take three minutes and go ask your neighbor, hey, do you have any eggs? Your neighbor has a snowblower. You're the man. Thank you. I get some love in the winter. I ain't going to lie. Um, our daughter started kindergarten last year, and we had a newborn, so that meant Mornings were kind of crazy and tough, and she offered to take Parker to school most mornings. We took her up on that. Now she's one of our closest friends, probably our closest friend in the neighborhood. Not only providing help, but receiving help. Having a bit of humility and vulnerability, right? To say, you know what, I don't have it all together. I'm, I'm needy. I'm not just needed, I'm needy. Let me, let me conclude with with this, we are not trying to level up. We're not trying to be personable and play and party and, and provide and receive help. Like we're not doing this simply to fill out a chart. We are doing this because we actually care about the people around us. We are doing this because Christ Love motivates us to love anyone and especially the people that like live 50 feet away from us. So, so as, we, as we seek to love our neighbors, our hope is certainly this, that, that people would see that the light of Christ is in us. Think about this. There is a dis distinction between an ulterior motive, which we want to stay like way away from, and an ultimate motive. 
You got that? Ulterior motives, we, we get to so, know someone's name just so that we can let them know about the name of Jesus. We shovel their snow only to tell them about the blood of Christ that washes their sin away white as snow. That's really in the Bible, by the way, okay? Um, do you see that? But an ultimate motive says, like, I'm going to love and serve and care and hang out. And what's of ultimate importance to me is Christ. And so, like, it would be insincere and inauthentic. Inauthent- I said this, I jacked this up like two weeks ago. Well, inauthent- inauthentic. Help help me out. I'm going to get this right. Inauthentic, yeah. Inauthenticity, that's the other one. Wouldn't it be insincere to, to like, become friends but never, like, Jesus changes the way I parent. He changes the way I, I am a husband. He changes the way I work. He changes the way I seek to be a neighbor. So we, we don't want any ulterior motive, but we certainly don't want to forsake the, the ultimate motive of our lives. And so, so what, what happens? What happens when we start to love like Jesus and, and love our actual neighbors? We could pull up a, a map and you would see flags of people of Redemption Hill like all over the map of Medford and, and the surrounding cities even outside of the surrounding cities. And if we just started to impact those 30 people on our block, I'm telling you, before the city starts to happen and it starts to accelerate and the momentum grows. And what's motivating us is the love of Christ, right? So so the question, what motivates love for neighbor? Here's the answer, being filled with love for God. And you say, well, well, then how are we filled with with love for God? And we're filled with love for God by receiving the love of God. So so let's, let's be a people that are so loved by God that it changes us so deeply that then we naturally begin to overflow in love to those around us. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would begin to fill our hearts with your love in such a way that we truly love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And, and God, may that love for our neighbor be motivated ultimately by our love for you. So God, maybe there's, just, maybe there's just a step that we can begin to take. God, I don't know if it's just saying what's up to our neighbor this week, if it's having someone over for dinner, if it's just playing out in the front yard. Um, God, if it's providing some help, Lord, we pray that your spirit would lead us to see the needs around us, to have some compassion, to go to the people, and just to live life 